Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today, we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians with Dr. John Newfeld as he unpacks more truths about the power of the cross in a message called The Foolishness of God. So turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. I don't know how you feel about the title of my radio address today, the the foolishness of God. Now, normally I would never use such a title. God's not foolish. Indeed, as Paul will describe God in Romans 16, 27, our God is the only wise God. Yet, the expression, the foolishness of God is found in today's text. Of course, that doesn't mean that God is like a man who is generally wise, but once in a while does some dumb things. God never acts in any other way than as an expression of his wisdom. And that gives great comfort to us, his children. We know with certainty that all God's actions in our lives are infinitely wise. There are never any exceptions. So where then does the phrase, the foolishness of God, come from? Well, in today's text, we'll be reading that phrase, but before we do, let's understand its context. I'll begin with a passage of Scripture we read yesterday. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I want you to notice the contrast in verse 18. Do you see it? I hope you do. And I hope it makes you sit up and think about it, because if you think about it, it may surprise you. On the one hand, you have the assessment of those who are perishing. They don't know the cross is assessing them. They think they're assessing the cross. They think the cross is foolishness. Now, you would think then, on the other hand, that those who are being saved will think that the cross is wisdom. You see, that would be the right contrast, wisdom as opposed to foolishness. But that's not what the text says. It says that those who are being saved think the cross is power, power, not wisdom. Now, why is that significant? Well, in Corinthian society, we know that wisdom was everything. They loved Greek philosophy. They had a number of religions that were called the mystery religions. Now, mystery religions were all about wisdom. They were about stages of spiritual enlightenment that you had to go through in order to obtain salvation. In fact, Greek society believed that there were a number of paths you could take in order to get in touch with the gods or the life to come. And all of that involved some form of wisdom, some form of insight you might have have to attain to. But the cross is not about human insight or human wisdom. It's about divine power, the power of God to change a human life from a person who is self-centered and sinful to a person who is God-centered, from a sinner to a saint, from someone ruled by the passions of the flesh to someone ruled by the Spirit of God, from someone who is on their way to eternal death to someone who is on their way to eternal life. In this case, the cross is not only the diagnostic tool to tell you your spiritual future, it's also the medicine that heals. The cross is the power of God to change the course of a human life. It gives us what we did not have, eternal life. And it's simple as that. Jesus Christ is God come to this earth in human flesh. He preached, he loved, he healed, and he set people free. But he was also hated. 
He was betrayed. He was tried in a kangaroo court. He suffered, bled, and died on a cross, crucified between two criminals. His death is a substitute. He died on our behalf. Now, if you greet that as welcome news, that you see in the cross the love and mercy of God, and you place your trust in what God has done for you on the cross, you are being saved. That's God's power at work in you that has changed your present and your eternity. And then your response to the cross determines your destiny. It's a diagnostic tool that tells you whether you have terminal spiritual cancer or whether you're being healed. That's the word of the cross. That's the content of all genuine Christian preaching. That's our message. That's what we stand for. And that's why our logo will always be the cross. But Paul is not done. He wants us to see four fatal reasons why some reject the cross. Here's the first of them. It's found in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 19 is a quote from Isaiah 29, 14. Isaiah 29 is in fact a prophecy against Jerusalem. Isaiah predicts that Jerusalem will be threatened by powerful enemies and instead of going to God in order to be saved, they will decide to make an alliance with Egypt. And so God condemns them. Let me read a portion of it. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is commandments taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with his people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So the wise men were the rulers, the educated class of people who controlled politics, who said, in order to escape trouble, we must make an alliance with Egypt. But God would do something astounding when all their wisdom comes to nothing. And in the future, that's exactly what happened. Jerusalem would years later be surrounded by hostile armies. They, instead of calling on God for mercy, would go to Egypt. And the reason they did is because the brightest minds among them said that was what they should do. But this counsel was wrong. It was a horrible mistake. And because of this bad advice, Jerusalem was eventually destroyed, resulting in terrible human suffering. Now, Paul quotes this passage, and in so doing, he tells us the first fatal reason why some reject the cross. They put their complete trust in human insight and judgment rather than relying on the judgment of God. Now, let's be clear. The word of the cross, as Paul calls it, is not a word that is opposed to education or human insight. In fact, wherever Christianity has gone, it has set up schools and hospitals and places of training and learning. The word of the cross is not a retreat into ignorance. We're not saying that human insight and judgment are not to be trusted. Human insight has led to medicine, helpful technology. It's made our lives better. And as a Christian, I encourage young people to get all the education and training they can. But the word of the cross speaks to something else. In fact, it speaks of three fundamental things. Number one, it speaks to your relationship with God. It speaks about your sins and how to get on with the righteous and holy God. Number two, it speaks about all that will occur when you die. That is, it speaks of the millions and billions of years after you've completed your roughly 80 years on this planet. And how important is that? And thirdly, it speaks about how you live right now. It speaks about what life itself is for, the purpose, the meaning of our existence. And I call these three things, God, eternity, and meaning. Now, in relation to these three things, God, eternity, and meaning, human insight and judgment has nothing to contribute. 
If you trust in human insight for God, eternity, and meaning, you're like a man on an inner tube floating down the Niagara River headed for the falls. You say to yourself, well, this inner tube has served me quite well up till now, and I'm sure it will be good in the future. And that is the fatal mistake. You will not survive your error. But some people are so accustomed to trusting in themselves or in the words of experts or in the words of friends or what their parents believe or what their prof in university said or what their gut tells them, and they simply reject God's solution for eternity. And that error is fatal. It's an enormous tragedy, and that's the first reason why some people reject the cross, and maybe that's your reason. I want you to think about this. Now, here's the second reason why some reject the cross. They rely on what is foolish and faddish. Listen to verse 20. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now here Paul is talking about three people, the wise, the scribes, and the debaters. Now, there are all sorts of theories as to what these groups actually represented in ancient society, but that might not be important. What is important is that people trust in the wise, the scribes, the philosophers, the scientists, the debaters, the TV personalities, and so forth. It's very interesting to me how times change. That is, how something that was considered so brilliant, so insightful, so wise in one age is thought of as ridiculous in another age. I remember when I was a university student studying Plato, and I found something fascinating. Plato believed that there were ghosts in graveyards, especially in graveyards of wicked people. He believed that if you lived a particularly fleshly life, you actually put rivets between your body and your soul so that when you died, your soul couldn't get away from your body. And so you hung out moaning and doing other weird stuff in the graveyard where you're buried. And what's interesting to me, that whenever you get electric lights in a graveyard, listen, all the ghosts go away. What sounded so profound in Plato's time sounds ridiculous in our time. Apparently at one time that was considered a very bright idea. Now, we may laugh, but think about why some people reject the word of the cross. I've heard one person say, I reject Christianity because I believe in evolution. What's interesting about that statement is that even now, cracks are beginning to appear in evolutionary theory. It seems quite likely that in 100 years from now, people will laugh at some of the theories that we bought into today. And I love what G.K. Chesterton says, he who marries the spirit of the age will find himself a widower in the next. Join me after the break. Well, there is indeed so much to study here as we look at this word of the cross that is foolishness to many. Today, we live in a culture that has rejected this message for a lot of different reasons, but there's a theme here, and that is the replacement of the power and judgment of God with human wisdom and judgment. When we come back, we'll discover why the cross causes controversy, but is the only answer for all of humanity. Psalms of the Seasons, our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada calendar, reminds us of many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of creation and the beauty of God's Word. It provides a uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Neufeld, and there's no better way to start the new year than a commitment to read God's Word cover to cover. Now, the calendar is limited, so it's only available as quantities last. So reach out today to ensure you get your copy of Psalms of the Seasons. This calendar is filled with encouragement, beautiful pictures, the Bible reading guide, and it's yours for free 
while supplies last. So to request your copy and perhaps consider a financial gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to order your calendar today. I can't imagine the amount of people who entrust their souls to what is considered wise and faddish today. Oprah still captures millions, and she seems so wise. So many entrust their eternity into what is good for today. And Paul asks, where is the wise man? In the sands of time, everyone who seemed so wise today will seem foolish tomorrow. But the cross will still stand. But tragically, some reject the cross because they have a wisdom for today, not thinking that today's wisdom is tomorrow's joke. Think about it. But here now is the third reason why some reject the cross. They keep on following a dead end. Listen to verse 21a. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Here it is. God has determined in his eternal wisdom that it would never be possible to get to know him through human wisdom. So then human reasoning about God and human ideas about God and human ideas about the health of our souls and human ideas about eternity are all a dead end. They don't get you anywhere. And that leads to the fourth reason why people reject the cross. They ignore what God has revealed. In the second half of verse 21, Paul writes, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's just so improbable. Some guy standing behind a pulpit or some guy preaching on a radio or a podcast talking about a crucified Jew 2,000 years ago in a culture different than our own. Well, that doesn't seem so profound. And what Paul tells us is that with all the wisdom that is floating around in our world today, people ignore the word, the message, the proclamation, the preaching of the cross. I mean, why shouldn't they? In our day, we have TV and movies and endless downloads and sporting events and universities and theories beyond number, all reaching out for our attention, all telling us about the important stuff that they're sharing. What could be that important about hearing someone preaching about the cross? Look, if you want to talk about God, talk about the complexity of this world, or what scientists have seen in telescopes of the solar systems or galaxies or exciting theories of the universe, and then talk about an intelligence behind that, or speak about DNA and the infinite microscopic world. Or if you want to talk about what it means to be human or whether or not we have a soul, Talk about psychology and psychiatry. I mean, there's so much to discuss. But frankly, what contribution can someone make to all this wisdom who speaks about a crucified Jew on a hill of Calvary? It's so easy to ignore the preaching of the cross. So many do. To worship a God crucified on a cross. Foolishness. I don't know how many of you remember Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a serial murderer way back in the 1970s. He savagely sexually molested and murdered somewhere between 35 to 100 young women before he was eventually caught. He was a genuinely evil man. And on January 24th, 1989, he was executed in Florida's electric chair while crowds of people stood outside the prison, sub-holding frying pans in their hands and shouting, Fry Bundy Fry! 
Now imagine if I were to tell you that God entered into this world and was executed right beside Tenbadi. Preposterous, you might say. It's impossible that such a thing would happen. Foolishness, indeed. And that's exactly what some people thought when they heard of Christ being crucified at Golgotha, hung between two horrible criminals. And it's just such a message, Christ hung on a cross, that is so controversial. Now, here we have two important reasons why the word of the cross is so controversial. First of all, it's a disappointment. Listen to verses 22 to 23. For Jews demand signs and and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, every society and every culture has things they consider important proofs for truths. We do know that Jewish society at the time of Jesus was especially conscious of the need of a miracle to authenticate things. And Jesus ran into that problem frequently. Although he was able to heal the sick and walk on water, change water into wine, raise the dead, and multiply food, it just wasn't enough. A hunger for miracles makes it never enough. So here's what Jesus said of that hunger. He said in Matthew 12, 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, the sign of Jonah was the death and resurrection of Jesus, his cross and his victory over death. And here's what Paul says about the cross for Jews. It's a stumbling block. The Greek word here is the word scandalon, from which we get our English word scandal. The Jews said, if you want to talk about God, talk about him miraculously defeating all his enemies and ruling with a rod of iron over the whole world. Not about the world defeating him and executing him to die. That would be a scandal to say the least. But the Greeks had equal problems. They loved wisdom. They wanted intellectual proofs. They loved to hear the latest ideas. Acts 17 has Paul in dialogue with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and has them saying, what does this babbler wish to say? You see, to the Greeks, the cross was foolishness, and the Greek word for foolishness is the word moros. We get the word moron from that. Who but a moron would even talk that way? I remember how many of us remember the story of Naaman. He was the general of the Syrian army who had leprosy. And he goes to see the Jewish prophet Elisha because he was told that this man of God can cure him of his disease. And Elisha says to Naaman, after he's come to visit him, go to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times and you're going to be healed. And I wonder if you remember his response. He was angry. I mean, the Jordan River, I mean, that creek, that little bit of nothing. He says, I I thought he'd wave his hand over me and say something significant. Well, when he said wash in the Jordan, if you'd like to put that in context, it's like Canadians. You know, sometimes we have this one-upmanship with other parts of the country. So if you live next to the Niagara River, you might say, now that's a river. But the the Red River and the Assiniboine Rivers in Manitoba, well, they're nothing. Well, that's how Naaman felt about the Jordan. It was a ditch, he says. I wish he would have waved his hand over me. Maybe he would have said something profound, but this, this is really disappointing. And yet that's where his healing lay, in that really disappointing place called the Jordan River. And that's how some people feel about the cross. When we speak about encountering God, we're hoping for a great miracle. We're hoping maybe for a vision. We're hoping for something really profound and wise. But all I get is this guy preaching about a a crucified Jew in Jerusalem, and that's disappointing. 
And that's why the cross will always be controversial. But here's the second reason. Everything about the cross depends on God. Verse 24, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The entire word of the cross will always come down to one thing and one thing alone. If you love the cross of Jesus Christ, if you have found in the cross the wisdom of God, the revelation of God, the splendor of God and the love of God and the power for eternal life, if all of that is true for you, don't congratulate yourself too much. It was not your insight that allowed you to see that. It was the call of God. God had mercy on you. It's as simple as that. And that makes the cross controversial. Your ability to appreciate what God has done when Jesus hung on a cross is a gift that was given to you by God. And that leads us to an important conclusion. Paul says this so well in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Please don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not saying that God is really weak or foolish. He's saying that many say he's weak and foolish, but the weakness and the foolishness is stronger and wiser than anything we know. So here's a word to all. Stop trusting in the pundits of this world, whose wisdom will soon be discarded. Trust rather in this foolish thing called the cross of Christ, whose profound wisdom will never be forgotten, not even in eternity. John, I want to go back to a verse you just mentioned, verse 25, where it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, it's one of those verses that I think some people might take offense to, particularly those that aren't following the Lord, that sense that, you know, we're just foolish, uh, much more foolish than even the foolishness of God. What does that mean? What's the context for that for us? Yeah, one of the comments that I had made when I had spoken about this, Ben, you'll remember I said, uh, stop trusting the pundits of this world. You know, their wisdom will soon be discarded. And um, I know that there are a lot of things in this world that are in some ways wise. I mean, certainly some of the scientific finds that we've had uh, reflect a measure of wisdom that's there. Um, But I think we want to say that there is something about our eternity and there's something about who God is and who we're accountable to and uh, what life actually means and the purpose for living. I mean, there's nothing in this world that will even begin to give you a sense of that. You know, if you think about what we learn in school, what we learn in the media and so forth, none of it tells us of that which we need for living. I mean, that's lost from us. So I think I'm saying something like that. What a compelling and powerful message on a subject that even as seasoned believers, we need to hear more about. I hope that today's broadcast has deeply encouraged you. Please join us tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld returns to teach on what it means to boast in the Lord in 1 Corinthians. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Have you been feeling tired, beaten down, and alone? If there's anything that the Bible tells us, it's that prayer is a powerful tool for the follower of Jesus. Well, this month, Back to the Bible Canada is dedicating November to pray specifically for you. If you receive our monthly ministry letter, there's a prayer note inside. You can return to our office and a team member will join you in prayer. Or if you'd rather, you can visit backtothebible.ca backslash prayer 
and send your prayer request on a special confidential prayer page. Either way, we're praying for you this month. Prayer is critical to the ministry, so we want to share our prayer request with you as well. Together in prayer, God will do great things. So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca backslash prayer to let us know how we can partner with you in prayer this month.